The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily Bloomberg iHeart podcast. And I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael, Managing Editor of Crypto for Bloomberg News. It's Monday, December 26th. I'm Philip Lagerkranzer in today for Stacey Marie Ishmael. Well, it's been an extremely messy month or so in crypto since Sam Bankman-Fried's exchange FTX collapsed. But today, we're going to talk about something entirely different. We're going to talk about an NFT vending machine. You heard me right. An NFT vending machine. For you listeners who are new to crypto, NFT stands for non-fungible tokens, which are assets that, like Bitcoin, live on a blockchain and cannot be copied, changed or replaced. They were all the rage last year, but this year, prices have come falling down along with the rest of crypto. But what if you could buy an NFT from a vending machine? Earlier this year, a machine just like that popped up in central London. The company behind this vending machine called MyNFT said the goal was to eliminate any barriers to entry when it comes to buying NFTs. Hugo McDonough, the CEO and co-founder of MyNFT, joins us today. For us, yeah, the vending machine initiative was really about trying to just show people that this isn't a very scary technology that is inaccessible. Along with Bloomberg reporter Tansil Akhtar. And people couldn't choose what the piece of art would be, right? So it was like a lucky dip. So it's literally like you just put in a tenner, what you know, pay a tenner, and you get what you get. You welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. And Taz, welcome to the show. Thanks, Phil. Good to be on the show with you and Hugo. I am excited. Hugh, can you briefly tell us a little bit what you do and, and what your background is and how did you get into crypto? Sure. So um, I've been in crypto for almost a decade now. Um, started with Bitcoin. But yeah, the, the beginnings for me was I, was I was working in banking. It was my first job. Um, we had a, a CPD meeting and um, there was a, a young guy who stood up and was talking about Bitcoin in the very early days. I think it was sort of $80 at the time or something. And um, uh, he pointed me towards the white paper and I read it. And from that point on, I was basically a, a convert. Um, I, I was supremely interested in the idea of a peer-to-peer currency, um, uh, a trustless form of, 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 of exchange. And uh, yeah, that was really where it began for me. And now NFTs? Yeah. So so in 2017, when NFTs were just sort of coming onto the horizon on Ethereum, there, there had been some experimentations before on Counterparty, on Bitcoin and colored coins and these kinds of things. But I guess it really started moving on Ethereum in 2017 with the advent of CryptoPunks. And then um, we had CryptoKitties, which was the first sort of 
hype cycle, if you will, of, of, of NFTs. And it was at that time that myself and my two other co-founders, um, Edouard and Guillaume, started really looking at the NFT technology side of this whole crypto world. And that really excited us because in my view, I think one day every single non-fungible asset in the world will have a token to represent its value, its authenticity, its trading capability, all of these things. And so we wanted to sort of be a part of that future or, or create something or system that would help make that a reality. And then even more recently, after two or three years of playing around and in the space and learning all of the, the hurdles that everyone else is coming across, poor UX, clunky UI, steep learning curve, crazy gas fees, scalability issues. We've sort of took all of this learning and we've tried to solve all of these problems in a new product that we're releasing called MyNFT.com. Exciting. And, and that brings us um, to this point in time in crypto. If I would say it's been quite a year, what would you say? I would def definitely agree. $2 trillion freefall rattles crypto to the core. And I think crypto has wiped out a lot of people in the past couple of months. You can take the Luna example. Bitcoin down sharply. The collapse of three hours capital. The bankruptcy of you know Celsius and Voyager. The fall of FTX. So we did have Genesis as well saying that it's basically looking for a billion dollars or more. Otherwise, it could also be filing for bankruptcy. And some seem to think that the NFT hype is slowing down. Like if you look at the average trading volume, it's dropping. How do you it's, make I guess sense it depends on who you're talking to. I, there's a lot of people who are, are probably licking their wounds, wondering what's going on. Um, don't want to don't want to get involved in this space again if this was the first cycle that they were in. But then mm. there's a lot of people that have been here for a while and understand these these movements. And I think you have to look at it in the context of any sort of game changing paradigm shifting technology that comes to the fore, how it works. And booms and busts and natural bubble cycles are a part of, it was a part of the dot-com, it was a part of the railroad in the US. It was, it's a part of huge technology changes because of human behavior and excitement and, and, and these kinds of things. So yeah, I mean, this year there's been a whole bunch of, of bankruptcies that have caused contagion and knock-on effects. But I think that the thing that comes out of this is, is better for the industry. The uncertainty gets taken out of the industry and more certainty gets put back in. The people who really want to build value get found and the capital begins to flow into those rather than the more speculative projects. And also it'll pave the way for for, for some form of, um, I don't know, sensible regulatory framework perhaps, but you know, we'll, we'll see. And so in the midst of this, I guess we can call it broadly chaos uh, right now, in the midst of this chaos, you guys put up an NFT machine in London. Um, <laughs> we did. Bad timing, right? Uh, Ego? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't really see... Timing is definitely a thing, but in, in the world of startups, I don't really... You know, timing can be very valuable at times, but it's really just how long you can survive and how long you keep going. So hmm. I'm not a huge... Um, I don't sort of put a, a whole, whole amount of stock in, in timing. But for us, yeah, the vending machine initiative was really about trying to just show people that this isn't a very scary technology that is inaccessible. There is ways you can make it more accessible. And it was really just a, a way to try and sort of educate people on what NFTs were and show them that, you know, with your with your card, you can, you know, do 10 pounds on contactless and get an NFT card, scan it, uh, redeem it on, on the My NFT site. And then you you're you're in the you're in the world of being able to transact with a non-custodial wallet into into the world of NFTs. And um, you know, we also raising money for charity and, you know, trying to just help sort of spread the word and and have a bit of fun, really. And so, yeah, I mean, for us, it was a, it was actually a really, it was a great success. We was, we sold one NFT every two minutes. 
the machine even went down because the vending machine payment services provider couldn't handle the volume. Um, I did I did speak to a few people on the ground who had purchased a couple of entities and they did say the platform was a little bit like there's some issues around actually downloading. Yeah. yeah. So Yeah, it was in alpha essentially. Yeah. And um the 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 redemption process, there were some hiccups on the database with our side of making it mm. as as fluid as possible, but we resolved them as time was going on. And so the way that it worked just for the very initiated is basically um you basically you pay what is it? Is it ten pounds? Yeah, so yeah, yeah, you pay ten pounds, you get a, a card out of the vending machine, you scan the card. Yeah. That card um, takes you to MyNFT where you sign up. Once you're signed up, you're given a non-custodial wallet for you to be able to participate in the world of Web3. And then you redeem the NFT that you got from the card and that's automatically sent to your to your wallet. And then you can do what you like with it. And how many did mm. you sell during the two days the machine was on site? Um, I think we did about four, 400 NFTs or 390, something like that. And people couldn't choose what the piece of art would be right so it was like a lucky dip so it's literally like you just put in a tenner what you know pay a tenner and you get what you get yeah so so we we got a whole bunch of artists together that um from different networks because we're a multi-chain marketplace that we really liked and we got them to donate their works into the into the vending machine and so it was really a, a lucky dip in many ways as to who, what piece of art from what artist you were going to get so will, will those nfts be tradable or valuable in the future so they're all ERC-721 or type or standards that are similar to them, depending on the chain. So once they're in your wallet, as uh, as the owner of it, you can do what you like with it. So you could you could resell it if you wish to. You could hold on to it forever. You could collect other pieces from that artist. I mean, totally up to you. And this machine, where does it live now? It's no longer where you put it up first, is it? It is no longer where we put it up first. It was only there for a couple of days um, uh, as part of the NFT London event. And to help obviously drive awareness around the, the the technology and raise some money for some good causes. However, because it was so popular, we've had a huge amount of partners and people come to us asking for it to be at their events or to have it at some of their campuses and institutions. And after the break, more from Bloomberg reporter Tanzil Akhtar and my NFT CEO and co-founder Hugo McDonough on the future role of NFTs in society. We'll be right back. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Taz, I wanted to come to you for a second. You've reported on and off of this market. What are your observations from this year? And and more specifically, the UK Parliament was um, looking into NFTs as well, huh? Yes. So day two of the event where you were high, where you had your um, vending machine um, showcasing, Parliament released an inquiry into NFTs, which was interesting. So MPs are expected to consider whether NFT investors, especially vulnerable speculators are put at risk by the market. So they were actually investigating the concept of NFTs, right? Um, and that that was interesting because obviously this space, ICOs, Bitcoin, crypto in general, 
is not very well regulated. And a lot of people enter the arena without having any idea of where they're putting their money. Obviously, Hugo, your vending machine is £10 a pop. But we've seen NFTs like Beeple, for example. He sold his NFT for, what, £60 million? Yeah, uh, dollars yeah million, and then yeah. you've seen you've got like sotheby's you've got like old school um auction houses entering the arena then you've got like you know you've got luxury brands as well um selling mm. nfts for millions so yeah it's a market that's not very well regulated should we say so it's um it's a new market yeah it's a good thing hugo that uk politicians want to educate themselves around nfts I think, it's, I think it's absolutely brilliant. I mean, innovation happens at three, four times the rate as, you know, regulation or, and, and government oversight, right? I mean, it, mm. it's, it's, it's different different paces of innovation. So, and I think there's a huge amount of room and opportunity for, for, for different countries that embrace this technology faster to be able to, to, to get, you know, one up on others. I saw a really interesting report recently from the Law Commission in the UK um, regarding sort of intellectual property rights and digital assets and how NFTs, for example, can represent entirely new kinds of, of property rights. And it was the first piece I'd read that was sort of produced by a government body that I found to be really quite engaging and like they'd done their homework. It was really interesting. And um, I think that the UK is well positioned to be able to, to really build some kind of framework or rules-based principles that will allow for for businesses that are innovating in this space to flourish. Before we close it off today, I want to circle back to this argument you made at the outset, and which is one that we've been hearing, you know, a fair bit here at Bloomberg Crypto in the last couple of weeks. It's the idea of going through these boom and bust cycles, peeling off the rotten layers, I guess, or useless la- or less useful layers, maybe, is a better way to, to frame it, and then to start building again. And I just wanted to sort of zero in on the building part. What kind of building do you see now? And what kind of building are you looking to do going forward? It's probably a cliche these days in terms of none of the people who say it, but I do really think we are still in the very early stages of this industry, you know, early, early internet times, um, 70s, 80s even. And the starting of the space was, you know, building layer ones, Ethereum, Bitcoin, Polkadot, which is even a layer zero, it's connecting chains together, these kinds of things. And there's been a lot of innovation there. There's still a lot more to go. I mean, the blockchain trilemma of scalability, decentralization and security is a really difficult problem to solve and to solve well to get something that is going to work for, you know, the modern day world at scale in comparison to the likes of Visa and these kinds of things. And so there's been a lot of work building on that in the past few years. You know, the move of Ethereum's proof of stake, for example, being a, being a part of that. For us, I think where we're really interested in in the future is this concept of multi-chain. So I, I personally think the world will evolve in this space where everybody will have their own blockchains because the speed at which you can create layer ones, let's say, or blockchains, is getting easier and easier and easier. The barriers are getting lower. And um, so I think you'll have businesses with private blockchains. I think you'll have big, really decentralized public blockchains that might be a bit slower. And I think that what will end up happening is you'll need an internet of blockchains and you'll need all of these worlds to talk to each other and to be able to interact with one another. And um, we're really interested in that future because that's where I think the space is going. And so for us, when it comes to NFTs, it's about trying to be, you know, multi-chain and about creating a world where people can move their NFTs between blockchains seamlessly and permissionlessly, for example, or 
being able to do something on one blockchain with this NFT and then it has an effect on another one because they're interconnected in some form. And there's been a lot of innovation in the space around this at the moment. The first versions of bridges, which have probably been talked about there uh, because there's there's been a lot of security problems with bridges. There's been a lot of hacks in bridges and bridges are, uh, are a big target for hackers because they're a honeypot essentially where lots of capital ends up aggregating because of how bridges work. And so I think there's going to be a lot of innovation around that multi-chain concept over the next um, few years. And I think, you know, there'll be a lot more innovation with what you can do with an NFT. You know, at the moment, there's a lot of artwork and imagery, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's a it's a deed, it's a digital deed, it's a blank canvas in which you can program different kinds of value and different rules. And um, so I think a world where we'll start seeing new kinds of assets that exist in the traditional world being tokenized as NFTs, I think is going to start happening. And that will bring more liquidity to these fairly illiquid markets. And I think that'll be interesting, um, Mm -hmm. you know, by reducing friction. And we're interested in that as well. We'd like to start innovating on that side of things as well. So parting message, uh, there's still a there there. Mm. Mm. Definitely. I think think there's still still a long way to go. And on that note, Tass, Hugo, we're coming to the end of the show. Hugo, I want to thank you so much for coming on and thank you, Taz. Thanks, Hugo. Thank Thanks you very too. much. Cheers. Cheers. You can find more of Tanzale Akhtar's reporting on the Bloomberg Terminal and on Bloomberg.com. And for more, be sure to check out our twice-weekly newsletter, Bloomberg Crypto. This is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Send us your comments, questions, or suggestions for the show to crypto at Bloomberg.net. The supervising producer of Bloomberg Crypto is Vicky Vergolina. Our senior producer is Janet Babin. Our producers are Mohamed Farouk and Sharon Bariro. Our associate producers are Ty Butler and Moses Undam. Desta Wonderad is our engineer. Original music by Leo Sidron. I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael. We'll be back tomorrow. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.